Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Father, we just want to thank you and bless you. We glorify your name. And I just thank you for this opportunity to share our hearts as to what you are speaking into your church this year. Lord, help me to share from my heart. Help all the listeners uh, here in the, in the three or four screens in Enfield, uh, in Harlow, Jubilee Church, Harlow, Wood Green, and Ilford, Jesus House at the Bays in Brent Cross, Jesus House, the Hub in Greenwich, the many thousands that are connecting via the online platform to the Jubilee Church platform or the Jesus House platform. Father, just please help, oh God, all of us, so that we are challenged and positioned for what you want to do in Jesus' name. And together we say aloud, Amen. Amen. Well, um, if you wanted a title for what I want to share, and, and, and um, I, I'm hoping it will challenge us at this critical time, as we prepare for the year 2024. It's instructive that you are on the 17th day of a 21-day season of praying and fasting. Um, we are at, in Jesus' house. We are, we are on a 30-day season of prayer and fasting. Um, and it's interesting that uh, it's, it's at this time, at the start of the year, that I have to share this word. If you want a title for the message, uh, I I titled it The Year of Open Doors. The Year of Open Doors. Two scriptures undergird what I'm about to share with you. Um, Revelations, the third chapter, verses 7 to 8. and I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. Write the following to the messenger of the congregation in Philadelphia. For these are the solemn words of the Holy One, the true one, the one who has David's key, who opens doors that none can shut and who closes doors that none can open. I know all that you've done. Now I have set before you a wide open door that no one can shut. That's a good place to say amen. Amen. For I know that you possess only a little power, yet you've kept my word and haven't denied my name. And the second scripture that undergirds everything that we want to share is taken out of 1 Corinthians 16 verse 9. Again, the Passion Translation. There's an amazing door of opportunity standing wide open for me to minister here, even though there are many who oppose and stand against me. Um, two, two, two months or so before the end of the year, the Lord started to speak into my heart um, about the year 2024. And he said quite a, quite a number of things. But one of the things he said to me was that next year is going to be a year of open doors. Opportunities uh, will abound for the children of God. And I came to share that with you, that you are in the year of open doors. Um, I wasn't surprised when I found out that uh, in the Jewish calendar, the Jewish year started in September of last year. It's the year 5784, uh, according to the Jewish, Jewish calendar. And guess what year it is? You know, in the Jewish calendar, the years are themed. Uh, guess what, the year, what year it is in the, in, in the Jewish calendar? Yes, you got it. The year of open doors, or as some, some would say, the, the year 
of doors to advancement. I don't think it's coincidental. You might, but I don't think it's coincidental. So I want to go into a, a, a toolbox and share with you five, five things. I want to take out five tools from the box that will aid us as we strive to be where God wants us to be, walk through the doors that God has for us. Number one is knowledge, knowing what to do. A, a scripture that has become one of my favorite scriptures is 1 Chronicles 12 verse 32. Um, you know the scripture. In fact, in the context, the scripture gets even more interesting. The, 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 the tribes of Israel were preparing for war. It was a time like this. You know, there were, there, there were, there were rumors of wars. There was uncertainty. There was a, a degree of fear. They wondered what would happen if they went into the war. What would be the outcome, the fallout of, of the war? Um, there were loads of people who were in the valley of decisions. And there was a lot of indecision. I'm sure you know that our nation has never been at the place it is at with regards to the undecideds. There are more undecideds now about everything than there have ever been in my lifetime and in your lifetime. And I guess that's where the nation of Israel was. And then the, those who were going to fight started to get ready. And, 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 and that, if you read the context, it, the Bible lists all of them, the various tribes. And there were loads of them, hundreds of, hundreds of, hundreds of thousands, 10,000, 50,000. But when it gets to the sons of Issachar, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says, of the sons of Issachar, verse 32, who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Their, their chiefs were 200 and then all the other brethren. There were 200 leaders of the sons of Issachar. And this is the characteristic that stood out of the sons of Issachar. They had an understanding of the times and knew what Israel ought to do. Believe me, that grace, that anointing, that Issachar anointing has never been needed as much as is needed now. In the midst of the confusion and in the midst of the many voices and in the midst of the conflicts and in the midst of the cultural clash that we find ourselves in, one of the best graces you can have is to have an understanding of the times that informs your actions. And this year I'm praying that will be us, that we understand the times. We understand how who we are can influence the times. We know what we ought to do. I, I know what my family should do. I know what I should do. I know what my community should do. I know what the church should do because I have an understanding of the times that God has revealed. He has, op he has pulled back the curtains. He has shown me. He has spoken into my, my life. He has given me a picture that will inform my actions. And I think somebody should be asking, how do I get that anointing? If, if you really have received what I said about how critical this Issachar anointing is. How do I get that anointing? Well, I'm going to tell you. That's part of why I'm here. You get that anointing out of your relationship with God. That's why it's not a, the general's thing and then the foot soldier's thing. The youngest member of Jubilee Church or Jesus House that sets themselves apart can receive an Issachar anointing where they understand the times and they know what to do. It comes out of a, a friendship with God, out of intimacy with God. 
The psalmist says in Psalms 25 verse 14, the message translation, God friendship is for God worshippers. They are the ones he confides in. They are a group of people that God is looking for within the body of Christ. Everyone who is in the body of Christ, of course, is saved and is going to heaven. But God does not share his secrets with everyone. He's looking for those who have stepped aside, those who have committed themselves to a deeper relationship with him, to intimacy with him. Those who have proven to him by their commitment and dedication that I am ready for you to share certain things to me, to reveal certain things to me about myself, about my family, about my church, about my community, about the nation. The Passion Translation of that scripture says this, there's a private place reserved for the lovers of God. Listen to this. There's a private place reserved for the lovers of God. I don't know if you go... You know, maybe, maybe you don't go anymore, but you, know, you went to clubs in those days. Uh, maybe, maybe some of you are saying, ouch, you shouldn't go there because I do still hang out in those places. But whatever. You go to those clubs and there's, everybody's in this general place. And then you see uh, those curtains and it says reserved. And, and I, I, don't know, I don't know about you, but in those days I used to long to be there because it was like the guys, the real guys, walked in and walked past us, uh, all the plebs and then went, <laughs> went into this place that was reserved for them. And I always wondered what, what happens in those reserved places. And oftentimes they had bouncers to make sure they kept all the masses out because this is for the guys and their girls. Well, God says there's a, reserve, there's a private place reserved for the lovers of God. Yes, 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 everybody's part of his family. Everybody's going to heaven. He says, but there's this place that is reserved. And there's an invitation to go in there. And thankfully, the invitation is not restricted because that's not God's way. It's just for the lovers of God. And he goes on to say where they sit near him... And they receive the revelation secrets of his promise. He wants to share certain things. He wants to open up certain things. But he has to do it to people that he trusts. And what's the measure of the trust? That the people have committed themselves. They are lovers of God. They are passionate. They are giving their all. That's, that's why when he was going to change the world around Abraham dramatically he was going to change the world he thought to himself and said no 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 we can't do that genesis 18 verse 17 i've got to stop by and tell my friend that things are about to change sulfur is about to rain down from heaven the landscape is about to change the relationship i have with abraham puts a demand on me that i can't make those kind of dramatic changes around him Without telling him. Wouldn't you want to be there? Number two. Second tool out of the toolbox. That we see the doors. <laughs> There's a phrase I came across many years ago. Opportunity comes dressed in work clothes. It, it doesn't announce itself. That's why the world is a pyramid. Few at the top. Loads of, us, lo loads of people at the bottom. Not loads of us, but loads of people at the bottom. And, and the reason is because opportunities, opportunity doesn't come with a big placard 
that says, this is your day, opportunity. You grab me, your life is going to change. It comes disguised. <laughs> I wish there would be an announcement that would say, today, this Sunday in Jubilee Church, your life is going to be transformed. You wouldn't miss church. You wouldn't miss a word. You wouldn't miss, a, uh, you wouldn't miss, uh, 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 you, would, you, you would be there. Forget the young people are filling up the place. You'd be there before the young people. <laughs> because there's been an announcement that this is the day. But it just doesn't happen like that. Moses for 364 days has been doing the mundane. Taking his father's sheep. Wondering what has happened to his life. All the dreams that he had. And here I am stuck. Living in my, father's, my, my father-in-law's house. Working for my father-in-law, taking his sheep out to pasture. What about all those dreams I had? And he does that for 365 days, 364 days. And one day, Dave, he gets up, gets the sheep together, thinks of the root. By now he knows every tree, every shrub, every uh, part of the path. He's done it for 364 days. I think I'm talking to someone. It's, it's, you're stuck in the mundane. It's the routine. It's ordinary. Sometimes you look at others and you, 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 you almost envy their lives because you're stuck in the mundane. There was no announcement that day that Moses, you're about to have an encounter that's going to dramatically change your life. Until he comes Upon the bush that's burning and not consumed. And the rest, as they say, is history. I kind of pray for someone that this your 21 days of fasting, Jesus has your 30 days of fasting, that you will have a life-changing encounter. In fact, multiple life-changing encounters. We've got to see the doors. There's a young boy called David. He was a young boy. His older brothers were old enough to be in the army and they had joined the army. And one day his father says to him, 1 Samuel 17, his father says to him, ah, some, some cookies to your brothers. They're at the war front, so go and encourage them from their father. And so he does. And when he gets there, he sees the, Israel, the, the army of Israel standing against the Philistines. But it wasn't the army of the Philistines that, was the, that caught his attention. It was this terror, this intimidating mass of muscle, nine feet tall, dread personified. And what struck him was that when this mass of muscle rose up and paced back and forth, hurling insults, not just at Israel, but at their, at their God, he could see the terror in the eyes of his brothers and the rest of the army. And so he goes up to them. And the people say to him, <laughs> verse 25, have you seen this man who is up against us? Surely he has come to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills, the, who kills him, 
The king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. David thought, did I hear right? The king will give him riches. Instantly, what a lot of Pentecostals pray for, the transfer of wealth, is going to happen instantly. It gets better. That foxy daughter of the king that everybody, all the guys are talking about her. She's, she's been schooled in how to walk and how to talk. She, she, had, the, she had everything, the presence, the, the carriage, the beauty. The king is going and then the king is going to tell HMRC, don't go near that family anymore. <laughs> David said, unbelievable. God has set me up. His brothers saw fear, hopelessness, terror, intimidation. David saw an opportunity. But you know, David could not believe, are this guy so daft? They can't see this. So guess what he did? He went to another person and said, please. Uh, the, the Bible actually says that. He said, he said then, then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? And the people answered him in this manner saying, so it shall be done for the man who kills him. Do you know, David thought, I can't believe. So the third time he found another group, it was his brothers this time, because he was thinking, is this how God, is this how God transforms a man's life? Is this, is, this, is this how God is partial? Is this how my whole family is going to be blessed? So he goes to his brothers. And of course, you, you understand there must have been sibling issues that went on, because his eldest brother, Eliab, speaks roughly to him. Why do you come down here? Why have you left your few sheep in the wilderness? What was the brother saying? We are men of war. Go and look after the sheep in the wilderness. This is for the men. Yet the men were frightened and intimidated. <laughs> he says, you're proud, you're insolent. You've come down here just so that you can have something to gist about. <laughs> David said, what have I done for you? At least be grateful I brought food for you. What's your problem? <laughs> and then David turned away from him. And went to another and said the same thing. And the people answered him as the first ones. David could not believe it. <laughs> God has set before you a wide open door. I pray like David. You won't see it as a hopeless case. You won't see it as such a difficult case. And, and I'm speaking specifically to someone. It doesn't look like it's a door. But trust me, it's a door. It just looks like it's a whole load of palaver. Trust me. It's a door. It does come with fear. But the fear is just to cover the door. It's a door. Number three. For every single one of us, it's a particular type of door. And we must understand that. If not, we will 
make the wrong decisions, take the wrong steps. It's a door of ministry. I was thinking this morning that there isn't any time for God, and he doesn't, but there isn't any time for God to fool around with us. The time is short. There's so much that needs to be done. The only thing that matters now is God and God's agenda. It's a door of ministry. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 9 says, It's an amazing opportunity standing wide open for me to minister. And the moment we say that, the mindset kicks in to church mode. So we instantly think, and that's thanks to our forefathers who have shaped the church in a way that they've, they've created an erroneous mindset of ministers and laity. That's not the New Testament church. Pastor Tokpe, Dave, Pastor Kemi, they minister from the pulpit. But they are not the only ministers with all the other pastors here. The moment you give your life to Christ, you are called into a ministry. Every one of us here is a minister. I might work for HSBC, and who knows, that might be my own pulpit. I'm a minister. I'm in the NHS. I'm a minister. I'm a teacher. I'm a minister. If we all had to print cards, and I know they don't do that anymore, our cards would say for each one of us, your name, minister of the gospel. And so I come to Jubilee Church or I go to Jesus' house to be equipped and prepared for ministry. This is a school. You're being taught, equipped. Jesus' house is a school. You're being, you're being nurtured and prepared so that you can go out and do ministry. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 verses 11 to 12, And he has appointed some with grace to be apostles, with grace to be prophets, with grace to be evangelists, with grace to be pastors, and some with grace to be teachers. And you know, I love that translation because when you see someone in their calling, there's a grace that's on them. They do it effortlessly. And you wonder, that how can they do all that? It's a grace. I love pastoring. I can do this 24-7. It's a grace. I was trained as a lawyer. I sat one evening on a rooftop in Lagos with a friend of mine, one of my closest friends, who was one of the youngest silks. He became one of the youngest silks. The QC is called here, the SAN in Nigeria, uh, in the history of Nigeria. And I sat there, and I wasn't a Christian then, so, you know, loads of stuff we'd been drinking. We just sat on the rooftop. We're young men in our 20s. We'd just come out of school, and we're trying to find our way in the world. I didn't even really know Christ then. And we got talking about the law. And his eyes lit up. He was passionate. He, 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 he talked about this case. And I thought, wow, this guy's in love with this stuff. I thought, and, and I, I don't feel anything for it. I'm just, I just became a lawyer because my father said, that's what you go and do. You're an African father, you, go and, you're, you're, you are a lawyer. <laughs> that's it. And I found myself in law school and I thought, it was okay, it's okay. But I knew on that rooftop 
that this guy has something for this law that I don't have. In a race with him, there's no doubt that I will, I, I will come so far behind him. So I needed to find what I had a grace for. And when I became a pastor, I thought, that's it. That's what I have a grace for. But they all have those graces to do what? It says they are, they are calling, these fivefold people, their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry. And as they do this, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. That's what we do. That's what the prophets do, the evangelists, the apostles. That's what your leaders do here. They prepare you. That's what the volunteer workers do here. They help the leaders prepare this church so that people can come on Sunday, come during the week, uh, attend the various classes and be equipped for their own ministry. So somebody says to me, what then is that ministry? It's a common ministry to all of us. Everybody in the same ministry. We can then have different expressions of it. And what is that ministry? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 18. And God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself and given us, every one of us, the ministry of reconciling others to God. So what are these doors opening up for? These doors are opening up so that we can step into the ministry of reconciliation. Why, 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 why am I praying for a door of promotion to open up in my job? So that when the door of promotion is opened, I can, in that new place, enter the ministry of reconciling men to God. Why are we praying for a child to be born in our family? Not just so that we can have this child and dote on this child and create another idol in our lives with this child who eventually gets to the age of seven and controls the whole house. That's a principality. That's a goddess that has been created. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm saying, God, if you give us this child, we're going to equip this child to enter the ministry of reconciling men to God. Why am I praying for my business to prosper? So that people in that industry can ask me, how come your business is prospering in the midst of this crisis? Whether you would like what I'm about to tell you, it's not seven secrets from Harvard Business School. It's not uh, what they taught me at London Business School. We have all tried that. You are failing with all the 15 things they taught taught us. I can tell you one thing they didn't teach us, and it's that God can put a favor on a business because that business is advertising God. It's the Ministry of Reconciliation, number four. We must bring out of that toolbox faith. <laughs> it's going to take faith to go through the doors. Because, of course, the doors don't come dressed as doors. So when David was finally given the opportunity to take down this Philistine, he was brought before the king. <laughs> and the king looked at him and thought, what of battle? This is a kid. But David said to him, it's okay. Don't, don't, don't look at me. It's not about me. Verse 37. He says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. <laughs> he was so convincing in his faith that Saul said to him, just go. Because the, the kid stood there and said, this guy is, is gone. Goliath, his history. And how do I know his history? Because I trust the one who sent me. 
The one who sent me, I have precedent. Lawyers talk about precedent. In the past. The judge is bound by the decision that was made. Even if he thinks there's another way to go. No. Another court, and oftentimes a superior court, has decided you must follow that. So for us, we need to look back. The precedents are there. The God of a culture of iPads and iPhones and AI is the same God that took a whole nation through the Red Sea and thought, I don't even want their feet to be muddied, so I'm going to dry the ground. The God of all the cultural issues that we are dealing with. Craziness. That same God that exists today is the same God that brought water out of a rock. Can I say to someone that the God who commanded the most selfish of birds. You know, when God wants to make a point, he makes the point. He could have sent an eagle to feed Elijah. I would have understood that. You know, the eagle is regal. And that's, you know, this, you know it, it already, the eagle sends a message. As the eagle is flying, you know, you, you don't even need to know the outcome. The eagle has arrived, that kind of thing. And you know, Elijah is good. He sends a, rave, a raven. Ravens don't care about anything or anybody. But because it is God, the raven takes the food, does not eat it. He's under instructions from his... Uber eats at another level. Obediently delivers it. That same God that made that miraculous provision, please, let's have the faith to believe that that same God exists in London, in England, in the United Kingdom, or wherever you're listening to. The same God... Nothing has changed. The only thing that has changed is that circumstances have battered our faith. Experiences have battered our faith. Our intellect has got in the way. You know, Rick Warren was talking to us at this retreat and he was talking about how there's, they, they say the church is not growing. But in the southern hemisphere, the church is growing. In Africa, in Asia. The church is exploding. So, the, the fact that the church is... No, no, no. The church is not growing in some parts in Europe and America. But believe me, in China, the church is exploding. Despite the persecution. Parts of Africa, it makes no sense. The growth of the church. Asia, bursting. And so, what, what, what is one of the things that... Is fueling the, the growth. I mean, there are parts to the growth that are not right. So it's wide, it's not so deep, that's okay, but at least it's growing. <laughs> is that the people have faith that borders on foolishness. Our sophisticated minds get in the way. Because a lot of times, faith, there's an element of foolishness. Peter, walk out of the boat. Guess what we would have done? With a sophisticated Western mind. Do you know how deep the ocean is here? 
in my geography class, they told me this ocean is 270 feet here. Who walks on water that's 200? If you fall into 270 feet of water and you can't swim, you're gone. Even if you can swim, they better get you out quickly before you go. Our minds get in the way. May God help us so that we can start to believe him again. The currency of our kingdom. Every kingdom has a currency, believe me. is the way of, of every kingdom. In, in, in England, the more pounds sterling you have, the richer you are. In America, the more dollars you have, the richer you are. In Zambia, the more quacha you have, the richer you are. In uh, Oman, the more real you have, the richer you are. In Nigeria, you need loads of Naira to even be rich. <laughs> In Zimbabwe, you need truckloads to be rich. But it's the currency of the kingdom. Our kingdom has a currency. It's faith. That's why whenever Jesus saw someone spending that currency, he said, your currency has bought you a lot. Your trust in me has healed you. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews 11 verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now that tells me that you, could have, you can write that in another way. Where there's faith, where there's a little faith, God is a little pleased. Where there's more faith, God is more pleased. Where there's much faith, God is much pleased. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe one truth that God is. He's who he says he is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God that took them across the Red Sea is the God that is with us. The God that brought water out of the rock is the same God. The God that fought battles for them is the same God we serve. If he could do it for them and he's not a partial God, he can do it in our lives if we would trust him to do so. Number five, and this is the last one. Out of the toolbox. You're in it already. And believe me, you are one of the churches that has got a handle on this fifth, the use of this fifth tool. Prayer and fasting. I love God's word to the nation of Israel in Jeremiah 29 when things were how they are now. He needed to encourage them. So he sends them a word, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. He says to them, don't worry. I'm thinking of you. I've got a plan for you. And just so you know, those plans are peace. They'll bring peace. They're not evil. They'll establish you in your future and settle what you hope for. It's a powerful message to get at a time like this. When things are topsy-turvy, there's so much chaos, so much uncertainty. And God speaks clearly to you and says, I've got your back. Thinking about you, we already have a plan for you. We know where you're going. It's all sorted. And then he goes on to say in the next verse, and it's connected. Now, if you know that, that I have this plan for you, if you believe this message that all things work together for good, if you know you're the apple of my eye, if you know I've been thinking about you, if you know I have your name on the palm of my hands, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen. It's connected. If we believe what we hear from the pulpit, it should drive us to the place of prayer. So that in prayer we can birth what we hear. Thank God for the prophecies. 
But a lot of prophecies are hanging over people's heads and hanging over families and hanging over churches and hanging over communities and hanging over nations because the people that should birth those prophecies in prayer haven't done that. And he says, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your hearts. Can I say to you that this year it's all or nothing? It's all or nothing. You know that one foot in, one foot out, sitting on the fence, lukewarm kind of Christianity. The culture is even making it impossible. In the in present day 21st century culture in the United Kingdom, you can't be lukewarm. You can't. That 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 season is gone. It's all or not nothing. You are hot for God or you are not. So let's be challenged as we press in to the place of prayer. Thank you for us. Thank God for a season of prayer. But please let it not be a season. Let it be a lifestyle. So you're not going to wait for Tokwet to call the next 21 days. I mean, after fasting for 21 days, the next time you remotely come near a fast is in January next year. That'd be a, that'd be a calamity of the highest proportions. The reason that the leadership of Jubilee and the leadership of Jesus House have called this season is to stir us up and, and usher us into a lifestyle of praying and fasting. And I just want to end with this. At this gathering I was at, Pete Gregg was speaking, and Pete is a friend of, of, of Tokran Kemi's and a friend of Shalana as well, and someone we admire. He runs the 24-7 prayer network, and someone I really admire, someone who has a handle, a revelation on prayer. And he was talking to us, and he was saying, you know, he, he, he just wanted to talk about how the Lord has been impressing on his heart that this season he must pray a lot more in tongues. And he started talking about it. And I looked at Shalan and thought, this guy's reading our emails. Because that's what God has been saying to us. That for this season you're in, you want to be like Paul. And you know, Paul, I think Paul had the tendency to want to boast now and again. Now and again, Paul, he would just kind of just throw something out at you guys. What do you think you're doing? <laughs> And he did one of those in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 18. He says, I give thanks to God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. That was a nice post. <laughs> Paul was something else. <laughs> I was talking to all these guys, and he was looking at them. They were all thinking they were all that. He says, I let, I just show you one, just tell you one thing. You know, I, I give thanks to God that put all, all of you together. I, I speak in tongues more than you. And the Holy Spirit said to me, you're looking for Paul's secrets? That's one of his secrets. That he prayed a lot in the, in the Spirit. Prayed a lot in the tongues. And doesn't it make sense? It makes sense. Jeremiah 33 verse 3, Call unto me and I will show you great and mighty things which you didn't know. A lot of us can't handle the great and mighty things. If God showed you the rest of the year, some of you will faint. But then God says, I want to talk to you about it. I want you to pray about it. So God says, you know what? The best thing is a mystery to you. May it remain a mystery. I'm not revealing it to you, but talk to me about it in prayer. That's why the Bible says when we pray in tongues, we speak not unto men, we speak unto God in a language that we don't understand. But we pray the, the heart of God because his spirit gives us utterance. Hallelujah. So I want to encourage you. You could totally transform your life by praying in the spirit. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you and bless you.
we glorify your name. Just for two minutes. I, I, I think I've run out of time, but just for two minutes. Rise to your feet. I, just for two minutes. I want you to open up. Some of you need to let the horses in you breathe. I want you to begin to pray in the spirit. Speak mysteries. Lift your voice. Lift your voice. God, God doesn't have a nervous disposition. He's not afraid of noise. Lift your voice. Lift your voice. At Jesus' house, lift your voice. Ilford and Harrow, lift your voice. Lift your voice. Go on, lift your voice. Lift your voice. In Wood Green, lift your voice. Go on, go on, lift your voice. In Greenwich, at Jesus' house, lift your voice. Online, go on, lift your voice. Let's begin to pray in the Spirit. Oh, Ramandi la boste, le brende kiantu la boste, radasto la bruda cadeste, le mende le bresi caraste, maruba shanda cariata, deresto lo bosto, rabo curianda, bacazete, le brende kiandorobo jaca, rabusta brokila munda, raboste, le minde, le brekila Father, we thank you, God. We bless you, God. We bless you. And with all heads bowed here in, 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 in Enfield, in this main screen, and with all heads bowed for just one minute of reflection 30 seconds of reflection how how is all this thing all these things going to happen it's going to be by the guidance of the spirit the spirit of god is leading us all the way but then the spirit of god can't come into our lives if we haven't opened up that door by inviting him in when he comes in his spirit comes in and that's how we hear the voice we feel the nudge we feel the prompt. And so there might be somebody in here or in any of the screens here at Enfield. There might be somebody at the base in Jesus' house, at the hub in Greenwich, somebody online on the Jubilee platform, somebody at any of the other sites uh, in Harlow, in Woodgreen, in Ilford, uh, somebody online in Jesus' house. You haven't made your peace with God. You haven't invited him into your heart. We sense it's going to be so exciting. Open doors. You need his help to lead you to those doors, to show you those doors, to empower you, to help you build your faith. If you want to invite him in, why don't you just do so this morning? Just open up your heart. And someone says, how do I do it? It's simple. Just invite him in. I'll come alongside you and pray with you if you would just repeat the words after me and mean every one of those words. That's all you've got to do to invite him in. Will you say with me, wherever you are, online uh, or, or in, a, in a physical space, say after, say after me, Heavenly Father. Today I invite you into my heart to be my Lord and Savior, Jesus. I thank you for the gift by this prayer by faith, I know that I'm now a child of yours. Give me the grace to live a life that is pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.